What can be learned from a story woven out of fragmented moments of joy, pain, and blissful awareness? I wrote my first book, Flesh Mapping, in 2013. It was an invitation into co-creating a pedagogy, a way of learning through our shared narratives of plays and politics, a way of mapping the injuries of the material, emotional, spiritual impact of all our many journeys of growth. Some may call it struggle, forced poverty, displacement, hunger, and war. As a child raised in war, I've learned many lessons. And in the art of living, I'm inviting some of my heroes some of the people who walk with me, who have taught me to walk in beautiful ways, to see co-creation, to see community as our immunity to pain, to suffering, to wanting. Welcome. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson, and this is The Art of Living. It is a great privilege to have on our show the poet Eduardo Galeano. His latest book, Mirrors, speaks of the stories of almost everyone, a collection of vignettes that depicts the breadth of human history. What a wonderful book, known throughout Latin America for his groundbreaking book in 1971, The Open Veins of Latin America, an indictment of the plunder of the region by European and U.S. imperialists. Poeta, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, and thank you for giving me this this title of poet. I feel proud of it, because I'm afraid I don't deserve it. I, I write in prose, not in verse. But perhaps, perhaps, being as I feel I am, a loyal interpreter, translator of reality, perhaps I am also... Uh, doing poetry, even if I don't know I'm doing so, like that character of Molière was speaking prose and he didn't know. You are correct to acknowledge the title of poet. For me, I think in terms of a poet as someone who is able to inspire a sentiment that moves people, that steers our feelings inside, that goes beyond our intellectual capacity to see and inform or receive information, but goes to our our feelings, our ability to experience the sentiment that unites us, the something that uh, moves us, the something that we are uh, more than just intellectual beings, but rather, I think a poet has the ability to convey a message in a way that inspires people to do something about it. Okay, okay, I feel proud of it. I I hope I deserve such an honorable title. You are very generous anyway. Thank you, thank you very much. All I want to do is to try to see the unseen, the other side of the moon, the other side of the earth, and perhaps this is in, in some ways uh, an act of poetry, perhaps, yes. There are events in life that can have a long-lasting impression and can sometimes be part of a defining moment in our lives. And sometimes that experience can come from a book, 
many writers write with intent to convey information, uh, sometimes to denounce acts of injustice. I think the book Open Veins of Latin America has had a special place in the consciousness of people in Latin America as it opened our eyes and offered a language of indignation against the plunder of the region by European and U.S. imperialists. It became one of the best-selling books uh, in the Amazon.com charts. How should people read your book, Open Veins of Latin America? For me, in my personal life, the Open Veins of Latin America was a port of departure, not a port of arrival. I mean, it was my first real book with, uh, inspired by the intention of showing the other side of reality, the unknown past, the unknown history, not as a homage to the past, but just as a way to trying to help a little to change reality. The, the first step to to begin changing reality is is to try to see it as it is. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to change it. And I think the book may have helped to awake conscience uh, all over Latin America and even in the United States and other countries in this sense. But afterwards, I, I, I wrote many other books with uh, the same intention, but written in, 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 in a quite different way. Open Veins is a, is a classic essay, essay inside the genre of, of, of literary essays. But afterwards, I, I tried to invent a different language, short texts, as you said, uh, quite, quite uh, a mixing uh, all, all the literary genres in a, in a, in a, in a single synthesis perhaps a poetic synthesis, trying to recover reality in all the sides of it, not only political economy, because Open Veins is mainly a book about the history seen from this point of view, the political economy point of view. And in the other books I wrote, several books up to the last one, mirrors an almost universal history, as the title says, with a certain humor, I tried to show other sides of reality, not only the political economy, I mean, and not only exploitation, not only horrors, but also the feast of lies, in all its diversity, because the best of the world, the best of the world, is the many worlds that are inside each world. We often talk about the importance of creating communities that are diverse, pluralistic, and inclusive. But our societies operate under a system of capitalism that completely denies the role of diversity. It actually advocates for a homogeneous, consumption-based, individualistic society that maximizes individual profits at the expense of others. So how do we create 
a more egalitarian and inclusive society. What are the barriers that we need to overcome? You know, the problem, especially in Latin America, but not only in Latin America, also in the other America, North America, the United States, is that our countries were born from a big lie. Since the beginning, it was a denial of our diversity. And this was perfectly well translated by the first constitutions, which denied the rights to almost all the population. For instance, my own country, Uruguay, the first constitution in 1830 gave the right to be a citizen only one person out of ten. And in the first elections, 95% of the population did not vote. And this is also true for all the Americas. The first constitution in the United States established that a black, a black woman or a black man was equivalent to three-fifths part of a person. When I see that uh, this uh, intention of President Zelaya in Honduras to change the Constitution as an alibi for the coup of, of Etat, a possible explanation for the military coup, I think about the United States, for instance. What would happen there in the United States if, with the same Constitution, with the first one, Barack Obama wouldn't be able to be the president because he would be considered the three-fifths parts of a person. And the same thing about all the other American countries. Bolivia, for instance, the first constitution of Bolivia gave civil rights to the 3% of the population, denying the fact that Bolivia was and is still a country made up mostly of Indians. This revelation of the true identity diverse and with a vast majority of Indian population, the revelation occurred in three years ago. It took centuries to rediscover Bolivia. And it happened when Evo Morales, which is an Aymara Indian, was selected president by an avalanche of votes. That's such an important point, this rich diversity of culture and heritage of indigenous people has been hidden from our historical context. In Canada, we have an indigenous population that until some 20, 30 years ago, were not even able to vote, were not even considered human in our recent history. We have um, residential schools that were predominantly designed to put an end to the cultural and language uh, heritage of indigenous people in Canada. And to this day, we have a government that has not recognized the rights of indigenous people. Why is the, the history of indigenous people so threatened to the capitalist system and to most governments worldwide that is kept deliberately hidden from a cultural history of societies. The problem is that nowadays the, the central power in the world imposes over all the countries a single possible way of life. And this way of life, well, 
is a mixing of violence and pollution, each baby being born with a gun in one hand and a steering wheel in the other, wars and cars, violence and pollution, as a single possible way of life. And I I think, I feel, I feel, think, siento y pienso, that this is the explanation for the very, very difficult recognition of diversity and, for instance, the very, very difficult of the rediscovery of native cultures in our countries. Because these cultures are dangerous from the point of view of the owners of power. Why? Well, because of community and communion. Community as a different, another different way of life, not centered on greed, but on solidarity. And communion, when I say communion, I'm meaning communion with nature. All these native cultures, unbelievably alive, after more than five centuries of denying and chasing and crime, it's a sort of a miracle. They could keep alive their central value, which is the community of, of life and the community and the communion with nature, the certainty that, that we are members of the same family. Not only we all we have legs, but also all those brothers and sisters who have branches or wings. And that's why it's uh, so important that in Ecuador last year, the new constitution recognized for the first time in all history of humanity the rights of nature. It was the first time it took who knows how many millenniums to reach, to obtain this recognition in a constitution. Nature as a source of rights. And these come very deeply inside from the, the Indian culture of Ecuador. This is the source of the source. To the extent that we have separated ourselves from nature and lost that sense of communion with nature, we see it as a commodity, something that can be cut, burned, spoiled, soil, sold for profit. Um, we are not only destroying nature, but also destroying ourselves in the process as we pollute our water, our food supply, in this very myopic view of the world through the eyes of the economy, through the eyes of profit-making. Many have pointed to education as a way to begin the transformation of our societies. We can restore a more sustainable way of life by educating people. Can education save us? What kind of education? So far, the education we've had has been one that teaches us about domination, the ability of some to rule over others. What is needed to create transformative change? Is education enough? Well, you know, um, education itself is not enough because we should begin asking what What sort of education are we receiving? If it's a real education, education in which 
the teachers teach but also learn teaching, uh, we wouldn't uh, arrive really to to offer to the new generations um, a real image of another possible world. And of course, of course, education itself has its uh, limitations. You know, the, the old proverb has it that teaching fishing is better than handing out fish. But there is a bishop who is also a poet, Pedro Casaldaliga, in Brazil, in, in living in the Amazon, that he says, well, yes, yes, this is correct, a very good thought, a very good intention, but then he asks, but suppose someone buys the river that had belonged to all, and, and this someone outlaws fishing, or suppose toxic waste pollutes the river and poisons the fish. In other words, suppose what happens is what is happening right now. And I share this this point of view, this dangerous question by Bishop Casaldaliga. The idea that violence and poverty are natural occurrences. We live in a world that seems to have perpetual violence and poverty everywhere you look. And there are some geographical areas that are poor and that there seems to be nothing to be done about it. And the violence seems to be also a natural phenomenon. What is your opinion of this? This is a system saying days and nights that we are doomed to go on exterminating each other. And I, I, don't, I don't share this, this conviction because this, this conviction is not honest at all. It is born from the military industry. This is a world, um, an upside-down world, which consecrates the best energies and the most important economic resources to the production of death. Each minute, each minute, 15 babies are being killed by a system which, which denies them food or medicines. Each minute, 15 children killed by this system, which at the same time, during the same minute, is spending $3 million in the industry of killing, in the industry of death, in the military industry. $3 million per minute. So the world is organized in such a way that we may all begin asking this obvious question. Wouldn't it be much better if we work for life and now for death, let death do her job. It's very well done already, but let's stop helping her. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, poet Eduardo Galeano's latest book is Mirrors, Stories of Almost Everyone. 
poeta galeano, muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. It's been a real pleasure having you on our show. Un abrazo. Un abrazo. Un abrazo. Muchísimas gracias. Muchísimas bueno, gracias. Chao, Hasta pronto. Chao. Thank you for listening to The Art of Living. I'm an educational consultant and artist, authored. For more information about upcoming events, workshops, retreats, please reach out to sylvierichardson.com. Until next time, remember to be playful, to celebrate joy, and to allow love in all your co-creations. You'll never have to wonder where the groove went. The groove is you.